Bless us, Lord, as we hear your word together. My brothers and sisters, Scripture speaks thus, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will win favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And this is the word of the Lord. God, as always, we ask that you would bless this reading of your word to our hearts. Change and transform us with it, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, as always, grab your Bibles. If you have them with you, Proverbs chapter 3. If you do not have your scriptures with you, you can always grab one. We have a stack of them back there. Uh, for your availability, et cetera, et cetera. For we just said and proclaimed together here that uh, the Bible is the truth. I just said, this is the word of the Lord, and all of you echoed and responded. The Bible is the truth, the infallible word of God, and therefore demands our undeserved submission in all areas of life. Scripture is uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is the supreme and final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. We are starting a new series on the essentials. And before we actually look at one of these essentials, I want to give you some background, some detail about why we do this. Why are we talking about the essentials? Well, we're talking about the essentials because my mother makes a terrific pie. My mother makes a terrific, terrific pie. I, I don't know, it's, it, usually it's fruit pie, sometimes she does other things, but whatever pie she makes, it is just absolutely fabulous. And I know that it can't be good for me because I like it so much. Um, and when you come to the dinner table, you can get so caught up, so excited about the pie that you run the risk of missing the rest of the meal. But my mother is a fabulous cook. She's a terrific cook. And if you get so excited about the pie, you'll actually miss the rest of the meal. You'll miss what my mother does for us in preparing us this great, wonderful meal for us. We are going to spend some time talking about the essentials the essentials of our faith, necessary, crucial, important aspects, doctrines of our faith, for a couple of different reasons. The first one is that it is because we believe that it is absolutely essential for you to know why it is that we gather together. When we're saying we here, I'm talking about the leadership of the church, the elders, the staff of the church, have in mind a particular core understanding of why we come together. This is the essentials of what we come together. Now, it's easy to love a lot of the things that are happening around here. 
Dan's working incredibly hard to generate a first-rate children's ministry and youth ministry for us. You can get really caught up in that. The band does a fabulous job of leading us in worship. You can really enjoy and appreciate and come here. People have developed deep, intimate relationships with one another here. A lot of people identify most of their friends as people that are fellow worshipers here at the church. You can come because of the church. You can come because of the pie. It's great, but you run the risk of missing what is the real meal here. Now, this is just not a theoretical thing. There are so many places in this world that identify loosely with the Christian faith and yet that miss the essentials, that don't identify the essentials. What we want to do is make sure that that doesn't happen here. We're going to continue to have great worship here. We're going to continue to have great ministries that take place. We're going to focus our attention on the way the Lord directs us and guides us into all areas of life here that's focusing in this church. I want desperately for you to develop great, deep, intimate connections with one another in this place. But all of that happens within the context of a solid understanding of the essentials of our faith. If you come here for all of the side benefits and miss the essentials, we, the leadership of the church, me, I have done you wrong. Now, you may not agree with all of the essentials. You might not identify with all the essentials. You're welcome to join us. Come, be a part of our fellowship. Love, enjoy all of the other benefits of this church. But know that you are going to consistently hear a main theme that comes across, and that is that there are essentials that we want you desperately to grab a hold of and to maintain. Not just is it because those essentials need to be held on to, but almost every coach or every counselor or any life guide or anything like that will always tell you in any situation that you need to get to the fundamentals. It's the fundamentals of the sport in which you're playing or the relationships that you have or your studies in school. It's the fundamentals that you have to go over again, over and over again, so that those things are built deep into your life. We desperately want your life to grow, flourish, and to flower in Christian understanding. And that is only in faith and practice. And I believe that that will only happen if the fundamentals, if the essentials continue to get brought forward powerfully into your life. So we're going back and talking. I read a study just this week. I read an analysis of a study this week about some of the long-term effects of COVID on our educational system. And one of the criticisms, one of the negative things that they brought forward during that time is, was for high school students, that the high school students didn't lose so much of the technical aspects in which they had. During the, this is during the shutdown and when, uh, when the kids were not able to go to school, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't so much that they lost some of the technical aspects, is that they lost the, the immersion in the fundamentals. It was basic math, it was basic reading, it was basic history, civics, understanding of what we're doing together. This study concluded that the problem wasn't in the the long gap, made people forget some basics in trigonometry or something like that, but it was actually the foundations, the fundamentals that were lost during that time. 
We're going to cycle around and touch over the next eight weeks on the fundamentals because we cannot afford to lose sight of those things because it's so easy to do. One of the reasons why it is so very, very easy to do is because built into the idea of the word essential, and here I'm going to define it in a few seconds, but important, crucial, foundational, built into that understanding is that there is some truth out there. We live in a world that is consistently trying to encourage us that it is impossible to identify any core fundamental body of truth that is absolute, that is universal, that is across the board. And this church, like Christian bodies across the world and across the ages, affirms that that is not true. We are getting the assumption, teaching, I have to say that in all the preaching I do, I almost never hear an amen. So, Mark, do you want to do that again? I like doing that. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> now I'm all thrown off. Uh, th- there are fundamental truths that are not located in who we are. That's where we're getting encouraged right now, that the greatest sense of truth is found deep within yourself, et cetera, et cetera, that that's how we identify what is true. And the scriptures and the faith of the church and the faith of God's people have consistently stood against that, and we will continue to stand against that kind of understanding right now. Part of the reason why we are teaching essentials is because we believe there are foundational, authoritative, universal truths. And we want to make sure that that is woven deeply into our understanding as we come here to worship as each and every week, as we get involved in the ministries that are here, etc. Underlying all of this is this notion of the essentials. But what do we mean by essential? I want to clarify one thing for a second, because here I think we could go astray slightly, and I want to help us with this. Um, Air is essential to life. Uh, The fact that astrophysicists will tell us that the fact that the world rotates on its axis every 24 hours on an angle of 23 and a half degrees or something like that, is essential to life. We couldn't have life as we know it today upon this world if those things didn't happen. Your organs functioning, your blood carrying oxygen to your body, all of these things are essential to life. Okay, that's true. But unless you have some kind of a breathing problem or unless you're an astrophysicist or something like that, when was the last time you thought seriously or that your uh, life was impacted daily by the function of your organs or the function of the world spinning. Now, granted, if the world didn't spin, if your organs weren't functioning, you wouldn't live. So, of course, you're impacted. But those are important elements. I want to define them slightly differently than essential ideas. Essential ideas are not just things that are important. They're not a li- what we're doing over the next eight weeks is not simply coming up with a list of eight different factual things that we desperately want you to understand. I do. I want you to understand the following eight things that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, and I want you to understand them intellectually as part of our uh, fundamentals or the, the essentials of our faith. But trust me, 
When we're talking about essential, we're talking about something different. We're talking about the impact, the conscious daily influence of these things in your life. Most of us would agree that if we're going to have a marriage, if you're going to look at marriage and you're going to say, hey, this is a God-honoring marriage, this is kind of reflective of what the scriptures call for a marriage to be like, that love is essential. Love is essential to a marriage. But I think you could legitimately challenge if that love is essential in somebody's life, if they never show, if, mar- if love is never demonstrated in that marriage in any way, I think you could, doubt, you could challenge if love was really essential in that marriage. They, it, of course, it might believe that it is, but if it doesn't work itself out into everyday life, maybe the word essential shouldn't really be associated with it. Most studies identify that for Christians throughout the ages, and even Christians living in today's society, that the scripture, the Bible, is held forward as being essential for most people, most Christians, who, who most folks who identify as Christians, that the Bible is very important. And yet it remains vastly unread by God's people. I think that there's a legitimate question there on if it's really essential in someone's life if it is not taken to heart and read. And so what we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks are these essentials, and I want the point not being simply, do I understand this? Do I understand, do I agree that this is an essential belief? I want you to do that. I want you to think. But when we talk about Christ's death on the cross being essential, I'm not saying do you agree that Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. What I'm saying is, is that influencing and impacting your life each and every day? This church believes that that's supposed to be essential. And by essential, what we mean is that it is supposed to shape and guide and influence everything that you do all the time. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ as essential to our understanding of the world and the way the world is turning, what I'm asking is, do you shape your life, do you shape your understanding, the practice of your faith around the recognition that Christ is coming again? When we talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling his believers, do you look at one another, do you think of one another as having the very presence of God indwelling them. I'm paranoid that you will hear the list of eight essentials and you will say, check, 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 check. Yes, I agree with all of these things. That's great. But what you need to be asking yourself consistently is, is this essential? In other words, does this shape, mold, guide my life in all that I do? One of the things that guides and shapes and molds the life, the practice of this church is the understanding of Scripture as the Word of God. The Bible is truth, the infallible Word of God, and therefore demands our unreserved submission in all areas of life. Scripture is uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the supreme and final authority in all matters of life and faith. That's essential for our life. As believers in this fellowship, 
as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think that that's essential in part because it is reflected so consistently in the Scripture itself. And a great place to look at that is in Proverbs chapter 3. So again, if your Scriptures are open, Proverbs chapter 3, specifically just verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is clearly set up, as you can clearly read it, as a contrast between two different things. You're supposed to do one, you're not supposed to do the other. You're supposed to trust in the Lord, you're not supposed to lean on your own understanding. Well, that's for particular reasons. Trust in the Lord. We've talked about this before, and I want to continue to emphasize this. When the scriptures call us to trust something, it's, it, it is a dependence. It's a reliability. It is not a simple intellectual assent to the idea. Yes, you have to intellectually assent to God's existence in order to trust in him. That's true. But when this passage says trust in the Lord, it's not saying believe that the Lord exists. Have the intellectual knowledge that the Lord exists. That's clearly not what's being said here. Rather, you're being urged, you're being called upon to trust in the Lord, to put your faith, to put your dependence, your reliability in on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Lean into the Lord with all of your heart. The, the heart is for us a lot the seat of our emotions. That's not what's being captured here. What, what's being, what the author's trying to picture is the whole essence of who you are. Trust in the Lord with every part of who you are, with every aspect in which you believe. I will tell you that I have a, a fairly good idea of what I'm supposed to do and think most of the time. I, I know that the scripture says that I'm not supposed to gossip. I know the scripture says that I am not supposed to hold a grudge that the scripture says that I'm supposed to forgive people 70 times, 70 times. And yet, all too often, I trust in the Lord, but not completely with my whole heart. Because there's always something in the background that is undercutting it, that's saying, well, yeah, but only sort of, or maybe kind of. And so I'm checking to make sure if God's way works out, then fine, I trust in him. But if God's way doesn't work out, or if I see that it's not going to happen well for me, then there's a temptation to change it. And yet the scripture here says that we are supposed to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we are not supposed to lean on our own understanding. Leaning means a lot of different things. I'm leaning right now on the pulpit. I've kind of got my weight sort of upon the pulpit, et cetera, et cetera. So we can think, I guess the, the best picture for me is our crutches. You've seen people that have been on crutches and they're towards the end of their uh, recovery period and the crutch is basically just there. And, you know, you kick the crutch out from underneath them because you're a bad person. And they basically just stand, you know, they stumble a little bit, but they, they were leaning a little bit on the crutch, but they weren't really, that's not this word. This word is the crutches when the person first hurts themselves and they're really leaning on the crutches. And if you kick the crutches out, they face plant. This word is used for what it means to lay down on top of a mattress. That the mattress itself is what you are, quote, leaning on, we would say laying on. That's the kind of 
of dependence, reliance. And what we're told here is that we are not supposed to lean on our own understanding. The reason why I chose this verse, out of all of the passages of Scripture, to talk about the dependency, the reliability of the Scripture, is because it is right here in that, in that line. Do not trust in your own understanding. Because I do every day. I trust in my own understanding all the time. And I spend all this time with all of you, and I see all of you trusting in your own understanding all the time. We're trained to do that. We are trained to do that. Think about it. What are you doing in your parenting? Are we not training our kids so that they will know what is right and wrong and so they will go out into this world and make good decisions based upon the training that you've given them? We trust in our own understanding all the time. But the scripture here tells us not to do that. Do not do that. Now this text doesn't explain why, but I think it's worth exploring why for a second. There's two reasons. The first is the finiteness of the human mind. Do not trust in your own understanding, God says. Trust rather in his understanding. How vast is God's understanding? How great is God's wisdom? How great is his knowledge? It is infinite. It encompasses all things. This is the point that God makes to Job. At the end of the book of Job, he says, look at all that I can do. Look at all that I know. How can you trust your thimble of knowledge against God's vastness of his understanding? I was involved in a ministry, this was many years ago, and there was a conflictual situation that came up, and, and I was going to be somewhat responsible for it, and I can't tell you how much I prayed about it, how much I looked into it, how, how, how deeply I took my, the serious call to handle this passage well, and I really looked into it and I handled the situation well, and I handled the situation, and boy, I thought I made the absolute best decision, and two years down the line, guess what? more information came to light, more things were revealed, and I realized that I did the exact wrong thing. You can't tell me that that hasn't been your experience too. That you've done something that you thought was wise at the time, but after more revelation, you realize that you got it completely wrong. That's not our fault. We're finite human beings. God created us this way. He created us so that we would not trust in ourselves, that we have a finite grasp on things. But that humility, that lack of pride, that willingness to say, I'm not always right. I'm not going to trust in myself. That is woefully lacking in our churches certainly within our society as a whole. We're being trained not to be that way, and I'm not cutting our training. I do it too. I think that it's important. We have to prepare our children to make wise decisions. We have to do all this kind of stuff. But the church of all places should be the spot where we are encouraging one another, where we say to each other, yes, you're, you're thinking this through, that's great, but remember you're finite in your thinking. Do not trust in your own experiences. Do not trust in yourself. 
one of the great challenges that runs into my own life is when something happens, and I know the Bible says don't gossip, I know the Bible says don't hold a grudge, I know the Bible says don't for, uh, make sure you forgive people forever and ever and a day, but in the back of my mind always runs the idea, yeah, but if God knew what I was dealing with here, he'd know that that doesn't apply. If he knew this person's sins against me, he would know that it'd be okay for me to be slow to forgive them. What I'm saying is that my little thimble of knowledge is more vast than God's vast knowledge. That that's ridiculous. That God wouldn't know, that God didn't know, that I'd be confronted with this particular trying situation when God said, forgive 70 times, seven times. When he said, do not gossip. When he says, humble yourself before your brothers and sisters. Over and over again, God knows these things. And it's a challenge to that. But that's not just our finiteness, why it makes sense not to lean into our own understanding. That's great. And that should cause all of us consistently not to trust our own understanding, to be suspicious of our own thinking, to say, I need to check this with the body of Christ. I need to check this with the scriptures. Just our finiteness should bring about a humility that is woefully lacking in my life, in the lives of the people that I interact with. But it's so much worse than that. Because added to our finiteness is an indwelling sin that continues to reside within each one of us, even believers, have that sinful drive that distorts what we see towards what is wrong and evil in this world. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. It doesn't mean that everything we do is wrong. Goodness, mercy, I'm not at all saying that. And the scriptures overridingly identify the common grace that enables us to do good things in this world. But it does mean that every decision that I make, every bit of my understanding is at least tainted with sin. It carries the residual effect of the fallenness of mankind in everything that I do. And what's the only response to that? That I do not trust, that I don't lean on my own understanding, but rather that I trust in the Lord. How do you trust in the Lord? It is impossible for us to trust in the way of God if we do not know what it is. But God has not left us in a vacuum. He hasn't left us without his authoritative word. This is why the scriptures are essential for us, because they are the spot where God authoritatively speaks to us and says, this is my will for the church. This is my will for you. And so many of us don't know how to challenge our own understanding with the word of God because we don't know the word of God. Now, you come to church. By God's grace, this pulpit will forever be what it has been for decades 
which is a spot where God's word is proclaimed. And that's great. But you cannot fend off 24 hours a day of your own thinking with a 20-minute sermon, exposure to God's word. You just can't. You have to. If the scripture is to be essential, it has to shape and mold your everyday life. And the only way for that to happen is for you to get exposed to the scriptures consistently. The staff here, the elders here, can help you do that. We can help walk you through a daily reading plan of the Bible. We can help get you into a Bible study. We can help you commit to getting to Sunday school each week. We can help you get into a discipleship group. The staff here, you hire us to do this very job. You hire us to do this very job, to take the essentials of the faith and to demonstrate its faithfulness and its validity in your lives. Please, I beg you, let us, this body, help each other grow in our understanding of the Scriptures so that we can trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, it is so easy so easy to trust in my own understanding. My mind is always thinking. I'm always trying to evaluate things. I trust myself because it's myself. Lord, I suspect most people in this room can echo that self-analysis that we do so quickly trust in our own understanding. Even when we know, Lord, that we are finite, even when we know that we are broken. Lord, help us to trust in you, to lean into you, and to know your way as revealed in the authoritative scripture that you place before us.